before 9-11, I had done an operation with a legendary contractor named Billy Waugh. And, you know, Billy, Billy had like 14 purple hearts and he had a silver star and like four bronze stars. He was like Audie Murphy. He was so highly decorated. And then he came to the CIA as, as a contractor. So I ran into Billy in the hall and I said, um, I said, hey, man, I said, where you been? And he, he whispers, I've been in Afghanistan. I said, what are you doing in Afghanistan? And he looked at me like I was crazy and he says, I've been killing people. What do you think I've been doing? And it dawned on me, like, that's why they haven't sent me to Afghanistan, because I was always the good cop, right? They're not interrogating people in Arabic. They're not collecting intelligence from people that they're capturing. They're putting bullets in their heads. They didn't have any, any necessity for a, for a linguist. So... I got frustrated after a while. And um, finally, the very first week of, of January 2002, I went into the office of the deputy director of counterterrorism, who had been my first boss at the CIA. So we were friendly. And I said, listen, if you don't send me to Afghanistan right now, I am walking straight to Exxon with my Arabic and I am not looking back. And he's like, relax. All right. Can you go to, Af to uh, Pakistan? I said, yes. When? He said, tomorrow. I said, yes. What do you want me to do there? He said, I want you to be chief of counterterrorism ops. I said, fine. I said, let me go home right now. I'm going to start packing. So I called my girlfriend. I said, I got to go to Pakistan tomorrow. And I don't know how long I'll be gone. I ended up staying there in uh, six months. So she said, okay, I'll meet you at your place. I'll help you pack. So we met up at my place. We packed the next morning. Um, she drove me to Dulles airport and dropped me off. And, and I flew to Pakistan. And how did you find Pakistan at that time? To tell you the truth, Aaron, I loved it. I've heard people say that it, that, it, that Pakistan is is the people like are very much kinder and warmer than than uh, you would ever oh, know. Oh yeah, the people were absolutely lovely for the most part. The food is fantastic. the The natural beauty is breathtaking. You know, whether it's the the foothills of the Himalayas or you know the desert in the south or you know these jungle like areas that they have. It, it's the first place I ever saw monkeys and wild boars, like sharing a neighborhood park in an, in an urban park in the center of Islamabad. It was, it was crazy, but I just, I just loved the place. I mean, the, the smells and the sounds now don't forget people are actively trying to kill you on your way to work or on your way back home. So you got to be careful. And we can talk about that in a minute if you'd like, but, um, when I got home, I actually, for a long time, I actually dreamt about it and, and how much I missed it. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. In fact, I, you know, one of the things that as a CIA officer you have to do is you have to meet with CIA psychiatrists all the time just to make sure you're not nuts or going nuts. 
And uh, after the whole Abu Zubaydah thing and, you know, it was, it was extraordinarily dangerous while I was there. It was the height of the war. And, um, and the CIA shrink said to me, I can't believe that you don't have PTSD. And I said, no, I feel great. And she says, I mean, like, you don't have any PTSD at all. I said, no, I'd go back tomorrow if I could. And I ended up going back for another couple of months. I said, uh, you know, you, you go to work and you do your thing. And then you go carpet shopping and go out to dinner. And they run like Jerry Springer in a loop on Pakistani television all day long. So you catch Jerry Springer and, uh, you know, stay around the embassy, go to the theater at the embassy and watch a movie, which we used to do. It was, you know, two or three of us in the theater shouting at the screen and stuff. I had a great time. It was a great time. And the work we were doing was important at the time. Right. So this earlier experience where you're one of a small number, I mean, I don't think that there's a, a an excess of um, people who are qualified to work as Arabic translators. Um, and yet they didn't use you for that. Did you ever come to get any more? In- I mean, you said that oh, yeah. it was because the guy said they were mainly interested in, in killing yeah. people. I mean, was it that bad? Was it that much of a slipshod reckless kind of no, operation it, it that they were really where they don't even want to have people who might be able no, to no, not at all that that began to change in uh november and december of 2001 the idea at first was we were going to so carpet bomb al-qaeda that there would be just no way that they could survive and of course that was completely screwed up right they screwed the whole thing up and Osama bin Laden came down from the mountain under cover of darkness. He was dressed as a woman. He got in the back of a pickup truck and made his way across the border. Okay, that's what we finally came to learn. Uh, And that was a screw-up by CENTCOM, where they agreed to a ceasefire to allow, quote-unquote, the women and children to be evacuated. And then when the sun finally rose the next day, there's nobody on the mountain at Tora Bora. So my big contribution was when I got there in January, um, my boss told me, in my first hour on my first day to come up with a standard operating procedure for taking down an Al-Qaeda safe house. And I said, well, I have kind of a bigger idea that I'd like to start with. You know, we've got, we've got these officers, uh, singleton officers in these villages all the way up and down the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan trying to stop Al-Qaeda fighters from crossing the border. I said, let's pull everybody off the border and let them come into Pakistan because it's going to be a lot easier to catch them in Pakistan than it is to catch them on the border or in Afghanistan where it's so mountainous and so rugged. You, you just can't do it, right? It's just not possible. And I said, you know that they're going to make a mistake. You know that they're going to get on a cell phone and we can be on them like white on rice. And he said, well, that's a great idea. So we pulled dozens of officers off the border and then Al-Qaeda just poured into Pakistan. And so we partnered with, you know, other federal agencies to uh, improve our collection. And uh, sure enough, we started catching big names almost immediately. And so is this around the time that you start? At what point does the enhanced interrogation program, what time do you come in contact with this? Yeah, that's a good question. So the notion of an enhanced 
interrogation program. I hate that uh, phrase. Was oh, it's an awful, terrible. awful, horrific euphemism. It that it's it's worse to say that, that. In my opinion, it sounds once you understand it, it's worse than you when you hear. Torture. Oh, I agree. So it was first broached at a dinner at a dinner party in October of two thousand one, and there are competing stories as to who initially brought it up. Suffice it to say that whoever is lying or whoever's telling the truth even though we'll never really know. What we do know is that once George Tenet heard about this program, um, he ordered those around him, the, the cast of characters that we all know now from the Senate torture report and, and subsequent reporting, uh, the likes of Jose Rodriguez and, uh, and Rick Prado and Steve Kappas and you know people like that, ordered them to... to Work with these two contract psychologists, uh, Mitchell and Jessen, Bruce Jessen and James Mitchell. I think I have that right. And uh, they said that they had been SEER trainers for the uh, for the uh, Air Force and that they could re-engineer the SEER training, which was torture training, that we give to our pilots in case they're shot down over enemy territory. We torture them so they can get used to the idea of, of trying to withstand the torture. Great oh, job. Oh, yeah, yeah. To be a professional torturer, it's wonderful. I'm sure you can sleep at night with no problems. So, um, Well, it's they're your, they're your friends at least, so then that makes you feel better yeah, about you, it. <laughs> you, can, you can rest assured that the Russian roulette they're making you play really doesn't have a bullet in it, if that makes you feel better. Um, so... We paid them $180 million for their expertise, and then they came up with this program. Well, the program was there by March of 2002, but we hadn't caught anybody yet important enough to try the program out on. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe, and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.